Just say it. I don't care. Have you, the last time? Yeah. Yeah, well, the last time we had sex. Uh, I, he was so happy. I told her I loved her, and I said, you know, let's just try again. And apparently she closed the bathroom door and then sat in there and cried. None of the voices in this series are ongoing patients of Esther Perel. Each episode of Where Should We Begin is a one-time counseling session for the purposes of maintaining confidentiality. Names and some identifiable characteristics have been removed, but their voices and their stories are real. Support for Where Should We Begin comes from ZocDoc. In life, we learn to make compromises with our loved ones, with our time, with ourselves, but some of them are more critical than others. And when it comes to our health, our compromises take on a whole other level. So that you never have to compromise on your health, ZogDoc is here to help. ZogDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Truly, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. To try out ZocDoc for yourself, go to ZocDoc.com begin and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's ZocDoc.com begin. ZocDoc.com begin. Support for Where Should We Begin comes from Kajabi. To become a content creator, you have to have a lot of vision and diligence to turn a passion into a career. This is where Kajabi comes in handy. Kajabi is an all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash Esther. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash Esther. Kajabi.com slash Esther. My wife of 15 years recently revealed to me that she doesn't feel the same way that she once did about me. I've never felt romantic feelings towards him in a grand way, and there hasn't been much effort over the years. I know that I have loved her, I mean, immensely since I met her, but I didn't ever really feel a lot from her. Some of the most challenging and sometimes really painful or sad sessions for me are the ones where I accompany a couple in their dissolution in the end of a relationship, where one person is out and the other person is holding on for dear life. I might be wrong that I would do anything to make this work. It might be too late, but I'm willing to try. And the session often is about helping that person really hear it. But it is also about helping the other person not shut themselves down, as if the shutting down is what's gonna give you the strength to act. I just don't think it's fair for either of us to be like stuck in this relationship. I'm never gonna be able to deliver what he needs or wants. I just, I can't do it anymore. So you actually work with both people and it's quite common for me to cry with them and to just sit in the, the flats of the end. Here you are today, and you say, I'm sitting with this terrible, painful realization mm -hmm. that we are at a crossroads mm -hmm. and that my wife and I are feeling very differently about each other. How did we get there? Where did you start? What's the story of this relationship? So as far back as I can remember knowing her, she lived across the street from me when I was a teenager. She's a few years older than me, and she was living with a friend of hers. Fast forward a few years later, I got a job for a relative while I was in college. She worked for him, so I would see her at this office. And then one day, I see her outside the building smoking a cigarette, 
And she had said that she was had a rough weekend. She broke up with someone. And I think a bell went off in my head and I was like, ooh, this is my in. And we went on one date. And I mean, I was positive that I was in love with her pretty much immediately. She was just so pretty and dressed well. And she was living on her own. She had her own apartment. I was still living with my parents. So I felt like I was getting like a a real woman. And I think at that time I was like 23, 24. I was, I wanted to start like an adult life. And she was like, you know, perfect. And then we dated for a few months, maybe a year. And then she moved in with me. A few years went by. We bought a co-op, got married, had our son. And a few years after that, we moved to the suburbs and bought a house. And I think in the last five years, I think has kind of been a struggle for us uh, relationship-wise. From my perspective, I just thought it was a lot of just typical marriage things of boredom. She's working a lot. I'm working. I come home. She's tired. I'm tired. We have a son. And we had decided to go to therapy about six to eight months ago. And then at some point she made it clear that she just, I think her exact words, I just don't feel the same way that I used to and that she's not happy and that she doesn't know what she wants. And the more I would push her on it and ask her for clarity on the situation, it seemed like she didn't have the way to put into words that she just didn't really love being married anymore. She's never been very communicative with her emotions. I don't know how she stands on a lot of things. She just shuts down. You can talk to her. She's right here. I'm sorry. It's okay. I feel like you, you know, I've, I've made this clear to you that you had experienced stuff in your childhood that shut something down inside of your heart. And when the person who promised to be with you for the rest of his and her life needed you, you just shut down and said, that's too much for me. Can I ask you when you say the one person that when you needed her? There was a a time a few years ago where I was going through depression. I had felt horrible about myself. Uh, I was going through anxiety. Um, I was a little hesitant to just be open about it with my friends. I think that I'm, I put up like a, a brave face sometimes when, when I'm by myself, I don't feel the same way. You know, I definitely do that with guys I work with. I walk in and I'm usually very chatty, making jokes and stuff. But when I'm on my way home, I'm the opposite, you know, when it's just me. She's the one who, who, you know, I, I think I'm the most open with. And I felt like the more I would go to her and needed her to just be there, I mean, literally just sit next to me, the further she went. And it hurt. And I just feel like there's something wrong that a person who just can't give, I mean, I feel like when I was at my most vulnerable, instead of her helping me, it actually made her look at me in a lesser way. And you have felt that there is one person who is your emotional rock, but who doesn't always nurture you emotionally the way that you would want. And so one of the reasons that there are things she doesn't tell you is because she's acutely aware of how much it would hurt you. That's exactly what's been the crux. All right. So let's bring me. you into the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> this was the perfect moment to it's come the perfect in. segue. <laughs> yes. We have barely started, but I instantly get a sense that he's bereft. He doesn't want to end this relationship. And he is holding on to the idea that It's her childhood trauma 
that has caused her to be broken and that brokenness is causing her to want to leave this marriage and if only I can put the pieces back together with her hopefully she will want to stay then I look at her and I see someone sitting stoic numb rather affectless and a little bit with the sense that the person who is left is the broken one and the person who wants to leave has their act together and these are the various characters in front of me the broken one the stoic one the one who's leaving and the one who's left so put this in your own words and you can talk to him i will listen i think that if i understand my role today it's actually about creating a frame so that the two of you can have a conversation that you've been having half the time but not really that's true every conversation or every argument we've been getting into it it's always leads to you saying you're fucked up your trauma from your childhood okay how about this i stand by that yes it does go to that i would like you to tell her what it is that i think is your issue from my childhood yes where should i start why she can decide if she wants no, to no you're absolutely you're right she can i mean i may ask but you have pasts you have histories but it's not a given that those histories are the reasons for why you feel the way you do it's shattering but i think i just carry myself differently i handle things differently but if he saw your tears mm-hmm. it would mean a lot to him it's the fact that you do your stoic pose and what he calls the shutdown so then he thinks you're fine and he's crushed right i do have an issue with communicating i do and i'm sure that is part of the the upbringing and things that i've had to deal with so tell me a little bit about the upbringing yeah well and here's the thing you tell the story that you want to tell me you don't tell the story that he wants you to tell me It's like he owns your past at this moment. He's the one who attributes the importance to it, the meaning of it, the legacy of it. It may be accurate factually, but that still robs you of the story. Right. Well, I can tell it. I mean, we lived in California. My dad was from New York and my mom grew up in Arizona. And they split when I was six, and my little baby brother was three. and my mom was having an affair with the next door neighbor my father was also a struggling drug addict on and off his whole life and my mom ended up moving back to arizona with my brother and somehow i stayed with my dad and my dad brought me back to new york and at that point my dad was a active heroin addict about a year or two after that my dad got clean but he also contracted hepatitis at that point he was hiv positive and then i think it was junior year of high school i went to go visit my mom and i found that she's been drinking she started drinking at 40 and then by the time she was 44 she was gone she committed suicide and my dad passed away 3 years after she did So I was in my early 20s no parents you know so I was I guess in survival mode since I was a young kid mm-hmm. but I never looked at it like poor me or like I was a victim I feel like my parents were like amazing human beings but they were full of their own demons you know like my dad was a wonderful man he was smart and he was funny and He was an artist. He used to take me on the subway every weekend and we would go to museums and run around the city and it was just 
like my mom too. She was a lovely woman. So even though they both had like these horrible sides to them, like I feel like I got a lot from them, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, no child should have had to live through that, but I did and kind of just moved on. I don't want to sit in it. You know, I don't walk around depressed or feel like this traumatized person. I don't feel like it's affected me so negatively. I mean, I'm sure, obviously, it's had an effect on me. In what way, you think? I mean, I couldn't even tell you. Like, I don't hold on to it. He, he would like to say, you know, I'm, I'm loving and I'm cold-hearted and I don't feel that. I hear you, which is why I asked you to tell me your story right. and not the story he wants you to tell. Right. At this moment, it seems like you no longer know how to think about your life separately from his editorial comments. Yeah. Because you know? I don't sit in it until he says, you're like this because... Unless, I'll share one thought that came through me as I was listening to you. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Both your parents had a wide emotional range. Mm -hmm. And it's really beautiful that you're able to see the complexity of them, the fullness of them, and not just her alcoholism, his addiction, but the whole rainbow and the intensity of them and you chose a life where there was going to be none of that Mm. safe yeah no ruffles no highs and lows to the point that when he has highs and lows you want to be as far away from it as possible it's like a visceral reaction when you have people who take up all the room, you don't need much emotions. It's very interesting. Your face remains totally flat, but your chest is totally red. Mm. Of course you don't express much. It, who even noticed it back then? Right. I, you know, I you was... were noticing every little thing about them. Right. And you chose a life that mirrored that. You're kind and you're loving, but as long as he's steady because he was chosen for steady. Mm -hmm. I do remember when he was struggling with the depression and... He's here. You don't have to talk to him in the third person. Yeah, when you were struggling, I I know I, I shut down. I've apologized for it because I know when... when he was depressed and had anxiety, he was also drinking. And I think because of my past and seeing my mother depressed and start drinking and how it escalated, it was my way of trying to help you wasn't to lay with him and hug him. It was get out of bed, get up, let's get moving, let's find a doctor. Let's. Yeah, I was probably trying to protect myself at <laughs> the same time because oh. I didn't want to live through that again. Yes. I don't want my husband to be an alcoholic. I mean, he was drinking heavily. I didn't want my son to be around that. I hated it. And it went on for years. And I just remember every time he got the ice, like I had anxiety, like just horrible feeling. And I told him. And I remember him looking at me going, you're crazy. Those are your words. You're crazy. You have a problem. And then I shut down. Don't say anything. I, I know you think mm-hmm. it's an excuse, but years of you. feeling that. I believe you. Just kind of like drained me from anything I had left. I feel like, I mean, I know we've always had like, I don't know how to. We always had what? Like a mundane marriage. I know that's hard to hear, but it's just like, yeah, maybe in the very beginning, because it was like, look at what we created, and it was exciting, and we were taking care of a baby. And But I feel like once that settled, we got right back into this. But you hold him responsible for that? No. Oh. Not fully, no. 
But I feel like that the past five years have just like chipped away like anything I was still able to hold on to. The more distant, the more he wants. He, he, yeah, but I also said the more he soothes himself with his own means. I know. And the more he soothes himself with his own means and the more turned off you are, you remove yourself and the more you remove yourself and the more he brings you back to your own childhood, so to speak. And it's not even the childhood, just like I wanted better for him as a person. I feel that he doesn't love himself. And I've said this for years. I understand, like, and I take full responsibility with the drinking and my negative aspects. It was a problem and it definitely triggered a lot of emotions. What I struggle with is that she could sit here and easily tell you the negative things. But in our 20-year relationship, I don't know why she can't ever see anything positive that I did in the past, that I've done for our family. Literally, she doesn't ever express anything positive, really, about me. It's always what I'm doing kind of wrong. When you look at your 20 years, Mm -hmm. or when you talk about the mundane, he hears it as, I never made you happy. What was I? You talk about the happiness of your son, you talk about the beginning, but it's very hard to leave or to be left and to feel that we failed in the entire endeavor. So if you're going to go, it will be better if he knows that he meant something. He's not so much fighting against you leaving. He's fighting against the disillusionment. He thinks that I've lied for 20 years, that like I've never wanted this. But it is somewhat what you are communicating. I don't think you'd want to say that, but that is how it's coming across. Yes. No, that makes sense. Even the origin story. He saw you, he fantasized about you. He has vivid images. You have, do you have any? Do you have an origin story? Like I, I do love him. He's a good person. You know, I just think that from early on, it just wasn't, it wasn't like this whirlwind, romantic, in love feeling. It was love and it was security and it was friendship. It's not a bad premise? No, not a bad premise. To think I made a mistake is also not fair and maybe not even true. Because in the moment when she met him, he was what she needed or what she was looking for and what she wanted. Maybe she would have wanted something else, but in the moment, having him devoted, stable, family-oriented, and adoring of her was probably what she wanted. So hindsight, to go and say that was a mistake, is also not being real in terms of where one was at, at the time when one made the decision. Maybe the decision doesn't suit her today, and she wants something else. But that doesn't mean that the decision she made back then was a mistake. People often have a revisionist attitude by which they reinterpret everything with the data of today. tell you about another couples therapy show I've been enjoying, a truly hilarious comedy podcast called Say More with Dr. Sheila. Oh, I'm so glad you're enjoying it, Esther. But for legal reasons, I need you to say doctor in the form of a question. Oh, a question. Okay. Are you not an actual doctor, Dr. Sheila? Is anyone really a doctor? Yes, many people. 
well, who's to say who is and who isn't? But let's get back to you saying more about why you enjoy my podcast. Of course. Well, uh, where should we begin? Say more. Well, you, Dr. Sheila, offer fun, unconventional advice, I should say. Say more. Well, for example, you allow the mother of one of your clients to hide under a blanket during a session so she could eavesdrop. Well, you call it unconventional. I call it radical healing. And I call it very funny. Say more with Dr. Sheila, played by the always hilarious Amy Poehler, is now available wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm so sorry, but I think that's our time. To be continued. Support for Where Should We Begin comes from Solare. Solare just launched their new first-of-its-kind women's line, Her Life Stages. I like Solare as a brand because Her Life Stages line uses scientifically studied ingredients including Vitex and Saffron and is made without soya or hormones. The Her Life Stages line includes products for menstruation, perimenopause, and menopause through postmenopause, plus a libido formula that can be taken across all phases. The Solare Stages line is doctor-formulated by a leading women's health expert who has been through the stages herself and knows what we experience as women. Now is the time to embrace your life no matter what stage you're in. To help you own your stage, Solare is offering 20% of any stages formula. Just visit solare.com esther and use code STAGES20. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Support for Where Should We Begin comes from Squarespace. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that you can use to build a website and help people find your ventures. Whether you're seeking a location for your podcast, teaching language courses, or selling handcrafted ceramics, Squarespace has all the tools you need to create a home on the web. You can create a polished, professional place that connects people with whatever you are excited about. Squarespace also supports all forms of connecting with those people. Whether you're selling products online or in person or offering memberships, you can make your website look exactly how you want it to be. They even have tools that help you create a custom logo. And they make it easy to create a place where people can schedule an appointment with you, browse your services, or learn more about why you do what you do. Visit squarespace.com slash Esther for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code Esther to save 10% of your first purchase of a website or domain. Breaking up is very painful, but feeling that the story that accompanied your relationship turns into a failure brings another level of disillusionment that makes it hard to breathe. I do feel like I've failed, definitely. And I think that partly it's because when you're trying to prove to him that you have to go, you don't include much of the positive because you're trying to make a case. And I think that that's not fair to the relationship. Good relationships end too. They don't have to be bad or a failure to justify their ending. And my question to you is not, why do you want to go? My question to you would start with, tell me everything you would miss. You're going to go. But I think you need to be in touch with what you're going to miss. And he needs to know that there is something you will miss. When you work with the end of a relationship, I listen to know if there is still hidden hope. Something a person is fighting or angry at that actually says that they still care. When they come in and they are shut down as if they care about nothing, like in her case, she won't show him 
that there is any sadness for her or any tenderness she still holds for him. Because the idea is that if I show you any warmth, affection, care, love, you're gonna think that there is hope. And I don't want to give you any hope, so I make it look like I have nothing to lose. And I have zero feeling for you, which crushes the other person even more because it's like only I am upset, only I experience pain and hurt and sadness and loss, and you don't feel any of this? How is that possible after so many years together? Then the work is about, you're gonna go showing remorse, regret, longing, loss. None of that are gonna prevent you from going. You're gonna go, but you are allowed to go with things that you cared about and things that you will miss for yourself and more importantly also for your partner to know so that they're not leaving this marriage of two decades thinking she never loved me. That's a terrible legacy and probably not the whole story. I feel like we built a good friendship and we loved each other and we respected each other and we had fun with each other and created a family. Like, that was a big deal for me. And I wish that was enough. Don't go to the other side. Okay. It's what I take with me from you. I'm going to miss family. I'm going to miss being that unit. Again, nothing has to do with me, though. It, of course, you're my family. I'm talking about on a personal level. There's nothing about me that you've ever been in love with. Nothing. And I'm trying to show her that. Like, you're not... I don't think that she's right. I think that she's going to regret this. And I'm going to be the one who's hurt by it. So should I stay and not feel in love with you and not want to be no, intimate of, with you? Of and course not. I mean, of that, course not. Of course not. not, but I think that the only logical explanation, the only logical... Can she, can she feel Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm it's sorry. okay. So what do I do? So I go through the motions, and that doesn't feel good to me, and it's not fair to you. When he interrupts her, it's one of those moments when he's fighting for the relationship. He's in the grip of the experience of loss, and he's trying to convince her. He's trying to see if she still is in the field fighting for the relationship with him. And the reason I do what I do is because I knew from before we met that she really wanted out. And that part of why she was coming is to make sure that he can hear that. She was not coming to see if she would like to re-engage, if there still is some hope for her, she actually made it very clear that that was not what she wanted from this session. And he was coming, knowing that this is what he was going to hear, but somehow perhaps hoping that I could turn her around when he could not. Are you still, still sexual? No. Not for a long time. Years? No, maybe close to a year now. Mm-hmm. And I remember that. <laughs> Just say it. I don't care. The last time? Yeah. Yeah, oh, the last time we had sex. Uh, I. He was so happy. I told her I loved her, and I said, you know, let's just try again. And apparently she closed the bathroom door and then sat in there and cried. And then she told me that. And that's why I say things like, you know, you just hurt me. Like, you say that you love me and that I'm a good person, all this stuff, but it's like, you just find ways to just... Because it's like... Kill me. It's killing me, like, you know, I, and, and then I'm just always, I always go back to the, to this line that it's like, I didn't do anything. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't deserve this. And I know that that's just my ego. I know it's just my, you know, that. You don't. Well, you don't I know that You don't deserve this. Neither of you. You don't deserve yeah. this. And you are both in a bind. If she tells you nothing, 
She's in a bind. If she tells you how she feels, she's crushing you. And when she does tell you how she feels, she gets confirmed in that it's better not to tell you because it hurts you so badly that she has to take care of you Mm -hmm. for making you feel so bad for her feeling bad. And you feel like your whole life is unraveling in front of you. And so will hers. But it doesn't have to be a complete unraveling and you can be there for each other. This story doesn't end when you separate. You have a child, you have years to be together, you will be in each other's life forever. So the story is at a transition. A divorce is not the end of a family, it's the reorganization of the family. And there's a part of you that wants him to agree with your decision. And he may not. You may have to act out of your own conviction, so to speak, but he does not have to agree with you, nor give you his blessing, nor think it's the best thing that could happen for both of you. I know. I struggle with these feelings. It hurts me that I can't just feel what I should feel or what you want me to feel or what I wish I felt. And I know I've finally been honest about it, but the idea of blowing up the family, I don't know how to move forward. There's so much pain in this couple. The fact that she appears more numb and stoic and closed off doesn't mean she's not feeling. It just means that she's made sure that she can go But she's just terrified because she has nowhere to go. All she knows is she doesn't want to be here. She doesn't really know what is the life outside of her relationship. And so he deals with sadness. She deals with fear. Support for Where Should We Begin comes from Fabric by Gerber Life. We all straddle our need for safety and predictability with our need for adventure, novelty, and change. But when you have kids, they become the big adventure. They become our source of unpredictability and risk. And in response to this big unknown, we often turn to financial planning as a safety net. Fabric by Gerber Life can help you get the protection that's appropriate for your family. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. So you could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash ester. That's meetfabric.com slash ester. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash Esther. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Support for Where Should We Begin comes from Sattva. A quality mattress can make a real difference in a romantic relationship. And no, I'm not just talking about physical intimacy, although it can certainly help that part too. There's a strong link between quality sleep and relationship satisfaction. That's why you should consider a Sattva luxury mattress. Sattvas are handcrafted for an incredible night's sleep. And I should know. I ordered the luxury hybrid mattress and each night I look forward to going to bed. Sattva will even deliver the mattress to your home, set it up in the room of your choice and take your old mattress at no extra charge. Visit sattva.com slash Esther during the Sattva President's Day sale for incredible savings. That's S-A-A-T-V-A dot com slash Esther. Did you ever try to change this after it all came out? Or did you see this as a linear denouement? Well, yeah, I think... I had said, let's go away. Come on, we'll pick a weekend and we'll fly to somewhere. Who cares? Put it on the credit card. 
because I know that that had that was something that she had brought up in the past. Like we don't go anywhere. We don't. And in my defense, we both were lazy about it. She never, ever said, "I need this from you no. to make me happy." And I, I don't think I ever really needed any. I never said like, "Hey, I need this from you to make me happy," other than the obvious things of sex. I wanted him to make an effort. That's what I used to ask for. Yeah, an effort. Make an effort with yourself. That always bothered me too. It was like, she always would blame the way that I am for myself. She discovered the gym several years ago, goes to the gym, works out, very health conscious. I don't like going to the gym. And I think that she (laughs) doesn't understand how I don't care as much as she does about it. But what you're telling me is that your whole relationship, neither of you felt that you could express any wishes, needs, expectations? I never really had any expectations from her. That's not true. Actually, you do, but they're not in the, this is what I would like you to do. Your expectations is that she be your emotional Yes. Harbor, that she be the person who makes your life worth living. Yes. That's a big expectation. Yes. That's a very good point that I was and, ultimately and, and trying to get to. nothing negative about that, no, no, no. by the way. What I meant, what I think I was trying it's to say. It's just a big burden for her was, to carry. Yes. You know. You have basically spent your relationship telling him what he's doing wrong rather than telling him what you want. Well, I mean, we were in therapy years ago, briefly. And I remember that back then, which is probably almost 10 years ago, it was, what do you want? And I was like, I want him to make an effort. I I can't stand living with somebody who doesn't take care of himself. But it was also with an effort with me. It was also Ah, like... An effort with you. But I still, to this day, don't even know what effort you're talking about. Okay, ask that and then let's listen. Yeah. I cut her off. Like, too. yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, me too. No, it's it's like, two of us. <laughs> like effort to do what with us? I remember, I remember in therapy specifically saying, "I know he wants to have sex with me, but I don't feel like he really wants to hang out with me. Like, there's never a date night. There's never like let's." All I've ever wanted to do is just hang out with you. You really think that? Hold on, hold on. Here's what you're going to try. I'm sorry. No, there's no need to apologize. It's very hard. You ask the question, Mm -hmm. what would the effort be about? Mm -hmm. She's answering you. Mm -hmm. She's thinking out loud with you. See if you can hear it. Okay. Because I have a sense here that this thing has gone on wheels on its own and that actually nothing was tried in this relationship. And that's a pity too. But I feel like if I, um, it's like too late for me. That's my honest response. The thought of us going on vacation is like, it's, I feel like it would just. Is what? I don't know the right word. Just, I don't want to. And it's horrible to say that. When you say it's too late, it's too late Because he did not make an effort sooner or it's too late because you were not truthful with yourself sooner? Both. I mean, it's... It's not the same. Because in the complacency department, you're rather equal. In the laziness department, you know, neither of us made much effort of anything. And then it becomes, you know, you didn't seduce me, you didn't court me, we didn't have date nights, and to which he then says, but, you know, you never told me you even wanted a date night, you just said do something, and I don't know what to do, because I probably learned about a ton of other things for the 20 years we've been together, but I've never really gone to read much about how to seduce a woman. Correct. You know, I have read about whatever, real estate and economy and politics and sports and everything else, but never how to be a better lover to my woman. Can't deny it. You're right. There's a lot of ignorance here. 
when I say it, it, I say it in a kind, compassionate way. This is not a criticism. When she says make an effort, I hear her say, "Take me to the museums, like my dad used to do. Take me out." You you feel like you starved, and you feel that if I let us re-engage in any way, I'm going back to that state of deadness that I'm finally getting out of. Yeah. It's like I don't I don't want to go backwards. I struggle with it. Of course you do. There there has to be more. You're not I feel like I'm never going to be able to love him the way he desires or he he needs because I don't feel that intimate part that like I feel like the friendship part. I feel like the partner part. I feel bonded to him in that way. I don't feel the sexual part. And I know that you, you have to have that. Like, I feel like you have to have that. And I know you need that. And I can't deliver that. And that's where I feel, like, torn. Like, do you stay and then just be unsatisfied to keep this unit together? Or are you selfish and and blow everything up and there's collateral damage? And I don't know. The sexual aspect of our relationship from early on till now, I probably have put a lot of emphasis on that to her. I think that it put pressure on her because I would tell you in the past how many times it just drove me nuts that I had to always ask you to have sex or <laughs> you never made me feel like you actually were you into have, it. You can't have a marriage without that. My experience with her is that she She's just not sexual. It's just not something that she thinks about, that she enjoys. And I just always found it strange. And I, of course, internalized that. and It made me feel just extremely insecure. Like, what's wrong with me? But then there's like, I'm, I have to be realistic with myself. It's like, well, it can't always just be me. So I'm like, why wouldn't a grown woman just want to just have sex sometimes? It's something that I thought we could just share and do once a month and that would have been fine. And that at times seemed like that wasn't even an option. Can I ask you something? Yes. You have a way of personalizing her feelings. Mm -hmm. In a very interesting way, it instantly becomes what's wrong with me so that you actually never have to ask her, what would you like? What would please you? What do you enjoy? Mm-hmm. What is there something I could do for you? Oh, I've asked many times. Mm-hmm. But not from a place of what am I doing wrong. Yeah. From a place of curiosity mm-hmm. about this particular woman. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when women don't want sex, it's not because they don't want sex, but they don't want the sex they're going to have. And that's not just on you. That's also on you. But in order to want sex, it needs to be sex that is worth wanting. Mm -hmm. And one thing she has said to you over the years is that your ability to take care of you or to be physically more aware is actually a turn-on for her and a draw, as she is trying to do for herself and for you. But you say, this doesn't matter to me. You should want me because I'm a good guy. You should want me because which woman doesn't want on occasion just to get laid a little bit? I do everything else right. I work hard for us. Why should I have to, on top of it, be burdened by seduction? Why should foreplay be more than two minutes? And because you don't communicate much, neither of you has ever really said this out loud. So this became just worse and worse and worse. She talks from the place of sex, that thing I have to give him, I have to deliver to him. You know, you met at 20, but you're not 20, and you still sometimes think like you were in that very early stage of life. And on your end... You create a story in your head that in some way prevents you from from taking action 
from being proactive, from listening to what she's telling you. Mm-hmm. Because she has said a lot of things over time. Everybody has said things over time. Even the quiet people say things. I just don't think they've ever really been heard. And I think that you took it as an insult. Like you were always so insulted and then defensive. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I own. And then nothing changed. But you don't necessarily go to him and say, I want us to have a better sex life. And no. you understand? It's like neither of you have approached this. I feel sorry for you because you're far down the road, but there's so many entry points that have just never been... There's a way of saying, I don't like it. I want something better, different. You know, I want you to make love to me. I don't want to just have sex once a month because we need to get it out of our system. But what you tell him is that he's inept, that you don't like it, but he he doesn't have much on which to go. And here we are in this sexual desert that neither of you want. You're both sexual people. How can you say that she doesn't? If she keeps telling you, I don't love you the way I think I want to, I don't feel for you what I know I want to feel, then you know that she's a sexual woman. Listen to her. Who is thinking, I'm 48 years old, am I ever going to feel like this again? What is going to happen to me? When she says there was such a long list of ways where... He didn't meet me and things that I thought would bring energy into our relationship. Do you recognize that? Do you recognize the story? Absolutely. And I I think it's only natural that I try to defend myself from it. And I say, we had fun times. We went out. We went to concerts. I was in a band. So when I hear you say that, we didn't do these things. You've always only focused on the things that we're not doing. Yeah, I haven't given you praise. I mean... But you know how I also feel? No. <laughs> Before you defend yourself, <laughs> a little acknowledgement no, will no, go no, a we're long both, way. We're, we're going back and forth. I get it. <laughs> For both of you, I think that the places where you recognize, where you can kind of validate a little bit what the other one is saying will make a big difference Mm -hmm. rather than just defending yourself and strengthening your position. But I think he may have a point. I mean, there's something about him saying this over and over again because those observations say things about you that are a part, the product of your relationship and a part, an expression of who you are. So this goes with you. When he says there is a focus on the negative and on what's missing, and it's skewed, do you recognize Mm -hmm. it? And that is important to let him know that you know that. So he's not off in his own reality. Right, I do. I recognize this part of me that I'm like, you don't need a pat on the back for doing things that like you should be doing. I know it's terrible, but I'm like, I don't get a pat on the back for cleaning the house. But I do. I mean, the perception is skewed. Like what you think you're giving off is not what we're what receiving. What I'm I, receiving. So you know what is so sad is you really let this relationship starve in so many ways. Both of you. I mean, this is not inevitable where you landed. Mm-hmm. It but it is inevitable when you do what you did. Yeah. Right. The attitude of, you know, I don't have to say good things for the things that you're expected to do that are obvious. <laughs> you don't raise your kid like that. No, I know. <laughs> Everybody wants to be encouraged and wants to be recognized in the efforts they put up. At the same time, you have the idea that you've been the giver. Yeah. I- which is probably something about that, but you may not have been as much the giver as you think of yourself having been. I'm sure. Yeah. You're right. I do recognize that part of me, that it's just like, you get up, you do what you need to do. I know that's I know. part and of who not, I am. No, I, I know. That's how I function. Yeah, that's that's who, who I that's am. That's how you were brought up. Yeah. She's an extremely hard worker. I'm definitely a little bit more lax on that front. And 
I'm more of a talker about our feelings, and she's more of a... What feelings? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, why feel right now? Like, That's let's right. just, just go to work. Why have a feeling? Stop complaining. Just get out of bed. But, you know, in a good relationship, that becomes part of the complementarity. Mm-hmm. And this is where your lens was a little narrow. You put him in the frame of his safe and reliable and kind. But you didn't put him in the category of, with this man, I actually can learn that feelings are not just in the department of others. You live with people who have a lot of feelings and you keep yours in check. So he's not the version of your mother and your dad, but he is a version of the emoting guy. He has moods. You are deprived of all of that. And a part of you is proud of it. A part of you says, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And a part of you longs for it, but doesn't know how to access it. Because you also experience it as chaotic. And people who live like that, they don't get up in the morning and you need to get up so you don't have time to deal with any Mm -hmm. of these things. And that part of her... I love, and I had said to you recently, I said, I fell in love with how strong you are, that you went through all this stuff and you were living on your own and you were paying your own bills and I met you. And then I had said something that might've been mean where I said, I don't know if it was strength that more if it was just you shutting down and having fear and letting that just take over. But no, it is, it's a combination of both. You're strong, but at the same time, you're afraid of being vulnerable and I think the vulnerability part is what I've always just maybe strived for. And every time she has been today, you stop it. When she was vulnerable? Oh, God. I'm sorry. (laughs) You don't have to apologize. You just can recognize it. It's like, it's scary for you. You would like it, but it's scary for you. You want her to be that, but on the other end, then who are you going to lean on? Mm Mm-hmm. And I think me sometimes being vulnerable is him hearing things he doesn't want to hear. How did you experience her today? Oh, um, I'm proud of her that she's sitting here and that's what I wanted. I wanted her to open up a little bit and I think she did. She had asked me a week ago, are you going to be okay if when we leave there, you're not getting what you Maybe one. I don't know if that's the way you I didn't put know it. what his expectations were. I didn't and, want yeah. him to think we were going to come in here. And, and we were going to walk out and be happy, ma- happily married again. And I absolutely did not. That wasn't my expectation at all. And it, it wasn't about that. And I mean, it's, I really care for her. I love her. So if I really, truly believe that I care for you and I love you, and I want the best for myself, you, and our child, then I need to come to an honest realization that you're not getting what you need. I'm not getting what I need out of this. You know, it's still my worst fear that I'm going to, like, destroy everything, you know. But... Like, I also think, like, I want you to be happy. I want you to be fulfilled and loved. And I've said this, like, I want you to feel all the things that you want to feel. I just, if I'm being honest with you and myself, I just don't know if it's, if it's ever going to be from me. I know. I knew that coming in. I don't want to settle. I don't want you to settle. I I can't help loving you. I can't. I don't know what it is. I just don't. Just everything. The stupidest things. So it's hard. It is terribly hard. I wish I could tell you it's not excruciatingly painful, and I can't because it is. Mm That's why we have poetry. That's why we have love songs. That's why we have the blues. That's why, you know, you were in a band. I don't know what kind of music you played, but... The type of sad music that would... You have sang that song. (laughs) (laughs) I like those types of songs that 
I'll probably listen to on the way home. Which one? For tonight. Which one will you listen oh, I don't to? Know. Give give me one. Oh gosh. Remember that song from Adele years ago? That song makes you want to meet somebody, fall in love with them, and then have them break your have them break your heart. So I'll listen to that one. All right, I'll listen to Adele. In the middle of the session, Esther got up and came into the producer's room, and she was visibly upset. And she said to us, it just didn't have to be this way. After the couple had left, I called her, and we talked through why she felt that way. If you're interested in that conversation, and you're an Apple subscriber, you can look for it on Esther's office hours later this week. Where Should We Begin with Esther Perel is produced by Magnificent Noise. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network in partnership with New York Magazine and The Cut. Our production staff includes Eric Newsom, Eva Walchover, Destry Sibley, Huete Gatana, Sabrina Farhi, Eleanor Kagan, Kristen Muller, and Julian Hatton. Original music and additional production by Paul Schneider. And the executive producers of Where Should We Begin are Esther Perel and Jesse Baker. We'd also like to thank Courtney Hamilton, Mary Alice Miller, Jen Marler, and Jack Saul. <laughs>